Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. They're doing opt-out testing in Oak Park schools where students are coming back in with a negative test. They're doing opt-out testing at Chicago lab schools where students have to come back with a negative test. Our mayor, who's also the head of our school district, said that was morally repugnant. So I, when you say, how does this happen? It just, it doesn't make sense is what it is. It doesn't make sense. Hi everybody, I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, Stacy Davis Gates. Stacy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Fran. And I want to offer my deepest condolences to you on your recent loss. Thanks very much. Tough time. Last week, what you call the lockout of Chicago teachers who chose remote learning over in-person teaching during this latest surge in the pandemic ended with a hard-fought agreement that was not all that popular with your members. We never see this in the CTU. It's usually a very overwhelming vote, but your vote was 56% in your House of Delegates to accept this agreement. There was bitter disappointment, shouting even, by some of your members who wanted more, who felt they came away with very little. They don't even know if they're going to be reimbursed for the days they stayed home, just as they weren't for six of the days when you went on strike in 2019. What's the anger all about, Stacy? What do you think? Recharacterize a couple of things. One, I don't remember shouting because we were virtual. So that characterization fails me. Two, I think that that vote reflects the reality in which our members are existing. Throughout this pandemic, they have been the anchor to the Chicago public school system. We have been the communicators. We've been the the stable parties in the school communities. And every time they say that they need something in terms of resources and supports, they have to fight for it. In a pandemic that they too are dealing with as members of the city, as members of their school community, as people who are invested in this city, they have children that attend the Chicago public schools as well. So the anger, I think, reflects the stress of the moment, the pandemic. I think it also reflects the fact that to get any agreement with our boss, that it takes aggressive action. And beyond that, it's not enough. The district has almost $2 billion. And that $2 billion has not been seen in our school communities in the ways in which we need to see it. Especially, especially in terms of an equitable distribution of those funds. 
um, our governor sent us tests. It wasn't our mayor spending down the resources that the president sent Chicago Public Schools in order to stabilize our system. And I'll close with this one on that particular question. Karen Lewis used to say all the time that she never voted affirmatively on an agreement or a contract because the boss needs to understand the palpable anger that members have righteously, but they also need to understand that they can always do better. And that's what that vote reflects. Is there any danger in the vote for union leadership? No, that's not how I read it. I think that's how I think our opponents and our detractors would like to read it. But no, that's not how we read it. In fact, yesterday we just had a meeting, a safety training meeting, talking through the agreement and how the agreement is supposed to be used. And we had over well over 500 people signed up for that meeting. Our members are still very much so engaged, very much so in a leading role in their school community. They feel empowered with their union. There is palpable anger at the mayor, the ways in which she has shunned them, called them names. So their, their, their anger, I think, is righteous and has been well-placed. You've said that this is not a personal battle against Lori Light, but you and Jesse Sharkey said it's about bad bosses. And you've said that you fought a bad boss in Rahm Emanuel and in Daly, you're fighting a bad boss in Lori Lightfoot. What is it that makes her a bad boss? I think what we have to look at is the cumulative impact of her leadership in this city. It's not just her relationship or lack thereof with our membership. It's also the lack of partnership that she has with rank and file law enforcement. It is also the lack of partnership that she has with all of Cook County government to the board president, to the state's attorney, to the chief judge, the lack of relationship she has with the governor, um, the Senate president. There, there are a, a like mile long list of individuals, institutions, parties in the city who have been um, categorized by her as an opponent or an enemy in a way that makes it very difficult to partner, to lead, and to do right by the residents of the city. So she can't get along with people. Let's add uh, Inspector General, former Inspector General Joe Ferguson to that list, who she castigated this week for his letter on behalf of Rahm Emanuel and also for his uh, critique of her handling of the aftermath of the raid on Anjanette Young's home. So what is it about her? You say she can't get along with people. She's too combative. What about? That's a question I think that she can answer because it's about her. What we've experienced in the negotiations that we've had, and we've had three, is her inability to empower her team. She doesn't give them the ability to say yes. The only thing that they have the ability to do is say no. I don't think she um, provides them with the trust and support that they need to actually come to an agreement that makes sense. The only time that we see movement or hear words like yes, is when our members take votes or they move into some sort of aggressive action. And to be honest with you, that's not a sustainable way of running a school district. It's not a sustainable way of administering a city budget, administering public safety, administering public education. 
So you say that you have this long list of people she's not getting along with. What is it about her that makes it difficult for her to get along with people? I don't know. I just know the experience of the micromanaging, the experience of name calling, the experience of moving the goalposts, if you will, throughout negotiations, the experience of making herself a victim and not the individual that's in charge of all of this. Throughout this entire pandemic, we have felt as if we are playing out of position as a labor union. There is a duty that the mayor has to make our school community safe. We have seen a lack of planfulness, a lack of collaboration, which has made the agreements that we've been able to negotiate most important. Because if you don't have a plan as a school district to keep people safe, then there's nothing there to keep people safe. The agreement is the thing that provides the plan. Our ability to go through a collective bargaining process to get this agreement gives us the ability to enforce it. The only thing keeping Chicago public schools safe with the mitigations that are necessary are the agreements that we come to at the negotiating table. Otherwise, we don't have face coverings. Otherwise, our safety committees are not meeting and discussing at a very local level what's happening in the school community. For example, contact tracing for a school district that serves hundreds of thousands of people, for a school district that is one of the largest employers in Cook County, only had 30, I think 25 to 30 contact tracers. So all of those people in all of our school buildings only had 25 to 30 contact tracers. This agreement now localizes contact tracing within the building. Now, this is something that they're doing in school districts all over the country and throughout uh, Chicagoland. But we had to put that in an agreement and have a work action, remote work action, to actually get contact tracing in the local space of our building. Juxtaposed to that, we said opt-out testing. They're doing opt-out testing in Oak Park schools where students are coming back in with a negative test. They're doing opt-out testing at Chicago lab schools where students have to come back with a negative test. Our mayor, who's also the head of our school district, said that, that was morally repugnant. So I, when you say, how does this happen? It just it doesn't make sense is what it is. It doesn't so make sense. So why did you agree to it then? Why did you agree not to hold out for opt-out testing? Because now what we were able to get a yes on is that we get to sign our families up for testing. We get to have the engagement with our families to make sure that they get the testing. Less than a week, we've already doubled the number of families that are a part of the testing protocol now. So you can't get a mayor who is ideologically opposed to a practice that she calls morally repugnant to say, yes, friend, we would still be out. We would still yeah. be locked out. And, and so that's the intractability that we're dealing with. Something as simple, a mitigation as testing that makes sense, that's been implemented widespread is morally repugnant. And so if we were gonna plant our flag on that one, then we would still be out. 
the bitterness between you and the mayor continues. You recently were quoted as saying, this mayor is unfit to lead this city. She is on a one-woman kamikaze mission to destroy our public schools. How, what do you mean by that? Again, I'm going to push back on your characterization. Bitterness, I would say the reality of what we are experiencing is that she refuses to hear members. She refuses to hear the people who are responsible for supporting our students and keeping our students safe. They're saying we need more support, we need more resources, and we need a regular way of making sure we are checking the boxes that we need to check. And we have been dismissed. We have been called very repugnant names, to use her word. And so I'm not sure it's bitterness as much as it's disrespectful, it's offensive. And so, look, our members do a yeoman's job in the Chicago public schools. All across this country and throughout this state, you are seeing this mass exodus of educators. In Chicago, we've been stable. That's a testament to the advocacy that we do as a union, that our members know that they have a backstop, that we are a safety net, that we will work with them and push forth to get the things that they need. And I think that is why our numbers have been so stable with respect to people leaving the profession. Now, I'm not saying people haven't left. I've said a couple of times, my son has been without a math teacher, a science teacher, and a reading teacher this um, past semester. And so people are clearly having second thoughts, but in terms of how we judge it against the rest of the state, and even now- Look at the exodus of police officers, for example. We have a bad boss, Fran. We have a bad boss in this city, and it's a boss who refuses to listen and to engage with real people. You cannot dictate, you cannot name call and expect for people to feel supported and want to continue to do the work. This is hard work, very hard work. Okay, so if you feel that way, are you considering running for mayor against her? Look, I am considering how we get past this school year. For the last two years, our members have turned themselves upside down and inside out to try and make remote learning as positive an experience as possible. They've done hybrid learning. They're doing in-person learning in the middle of a pandemic. It has taken every resource of our union, both financial and human, to put forth support that's necessary for them. And it has also taken my leadership I'll be honest with you, my family has experienced this pandemic in ways many other families have experienced in um, the city and across the country. And I also have three children and they are experiencing their public school in the way that many students are experiencing their public schools as well. So what I will say is that is my focus right now. And to focus on anything else at this point, I think it's disrespectful to the members who depend on my leadership and absolutely disrespectful to the little people who depend on me to be their mom. But if you truly believe that she's on that kamikaze mission to destroy the public schools, if you believe that she can't get along with anybody, that she's a bad boss, not just to you, but to all kinds of people, 
don't you have an obligation to write? That is some question. <laughs> that is some way to pose the question. Look, my obligation now is to be in full support and protection of the members uh, of the Chicago Teachers Union. My, my full-time job is making sure that we have an infrastructure um, for our members so that they can care for the hundreds and thousands of children that depend on us, because that is the work right now. This pandemic has exposed a very tattered, even shredded safety net. And our school communities have caught people, have embraced families, and have done the best that we can with the very little that we've received. And our work at the union is to support that work. And that's more than 12 hours a day, I might add. I don't hear you ruling it out. You hear me focusing on what's right in front of my face and most important in this moment. And that's where we are. And here's the other thing, Fran. We have 2022 staring us right in our face. We have a Senate president. We have a Speaker of the House. We have a governor. We need to maintain the majorities in both chambers, and we need to continue to support a governor who has supported us. So our focus is 22 comes before 23, and we're going to make sure that our members are in a position of supporting those people who have supported them throughout all of this. You have Chris Welch, who is the first speaker of the House, very few in the country, period. And it is important to make sure that his leadership is sustained because he has led very courageously in tough times. Our governor has also led courageously in tough times. Pritzker has been the safety net for Chicago teachers, to be perfectly honest with you, throughout this pandemic. And so our focus has to make sense. And right now our focus is making sure that we can implement this agreement in a way that keeps people making sure that those political leaders who have held our membership in regard have understood what they needed to do for the families here in Chicago are able to be reelected. And then after that, you'll make up your mind. Fran, that's my focus. At the very least, I expect that if you don't run, the CTU will find a candidate to back someone against Lightfoot. We're not wrong about that, are we? Look, we endorse candidates all the time. We will continue to be a part of the electoral milieu in this city and this state. We have members who are invested in the cities. We have a particular relationship with Chicago. The members of the Chicago Teachers Union have to live in this city. So we have members in all 50 wards who have a lot of concerns. We have members who work in all 50 wards and they have a lot of concerns. And one of the ways in which they get to voice their approval or disapproval is to participate in the electoral process. And so I fully expect our members to participate in that process. And two, as a veteran of our process, I don't get in there. They hold that particular that they have as members as sacrosanct. They take people through the paces and they get to make decisions and they vote on those decisions. Arnie Duncan is talking about perhaps running for mayor. So is Paul Vallis reprising his mayoral campaign of 2019. You haven't been a fan of either one. Let's assess each one of those. Could either one of them be better than Lightfoot, do you think? No. I think that what Chicago needs is um, a breath of fresh air, a leader who understands policy, the impact of policy, and are willing, and a leader that's willing to engage at a deeper level. The issues that we face right now 
are complex. There is a lack of affordable housing in this city that is driving out working class families. There is a lack of stability within our Chicago public schools because we have this revolving door of CEOs and mismanagement by mayors, people who close schools and destabilize Black communities. Paul and Arnie have a very particular history with respect to firing Black female teachers, to closing schools and foreclosing on the neighborhoods where those schools were anchored. So we obviously would push against that. But even more so, I think Chicago deserves a mayor that can see Chicago and all of the residents of the city and hold them all in, in high regard. For so long, we've tolerated a discussion about two cities. It's not two cities, it's one city. And it's one city that deserves to have an equitable leadership that provides resources where they are most needed, that provides a relationship built on integrity and trust that doesn't overuse the word punishment, but perhaps overuses the word investment. Those are the things that Chicago needs. It doesn't need someone who's gonna leverage the challenges of this city to protect themselves, but will see the challenges of this city and take them on in a way that privileges humanity. And period, like I said, our members are in all 50 wards all 50 wards, and they're in different schools across the city. We have a practice of understanding that it's different in some places. There are some school communities where they are working very well with their principals and their families, and they're making it work. There are some school communities that um, don't have good leadership in the building. They can't work well and implement the necessary protocols. I liken that to how the city works as well, that there are neighborhoods in the city who are surviving COVID and, and some are thriving. There are neighborhoods in this city that haven't received the requisite support, doesn't have the requisite leadership, and they are and they are in trouble. They are well, she's very, got, very in challenged. The Southwest, that's her big initiative in the 10 neighborhoods, South and West Sides. What's wrong with that? Isn't she focusing enough? There's nothing wrong with that. It lacks strategy, precision, and enough resources to make it successful. You can offer affordable housing, but you also have to offer people an opportunity to work to afford the housing. The issue is that we need people, we need to invest in the people to have a W-2. At a time where our country works the best is when our country is working and they're making a livable wage where they can have health insurance, where they can pay rent or a mortgage, where, where children aren't hungry. We keep forgetting this word job. People need to have a job. You can't just say, I'm gonna give you a piece of property. Sure, now how do I maintain that piece of property, Fran? What do I have to keep that investment going? So we have to think about this more holistically, and then we have to have some precision in the spaces that need it. Years of disinvestment, generations of disinvestment will not be ameliorated by her plan of the week. It's going to a multi-dimensional plan that, it, that, is, that has very clear objectives to me, 
that puts it on a track that is not about four years or about a press release or about a headline. This is hard work. And anyone who's ever worked in communities that have been robbed of resources knows that you just can't snap your finger and it's done. It's going to take a collaboration with all parts of public service, with pro public servants, and with the actual residents in control of how it happens. Like Chicago had more homicides last year, Stacey, than it had in a quarter century. Shootings are up, carjackings are through the roof. What role will that play in Lightfoot's re-election chance? Let me talk about it from a personal level, not just the headline. How many times have you driven to your children's school and less than a block away, police lights and tape, police tape? How many times have you called one of your loved ones because they're not home at the exact time they're supposed to be home? How many times have you comforted former students over the death of one of their loved ones? These things are personal. They're not just headlines. And if you live on the South side like I live, it's not a headline, it's your everyday thought process. And residents have to feel safe in this city. They have to be cared for and listened to. You can't call people idiots for saying that they want safety. You also have to think holistically about safety. So when you say, when you talk to me about Arnie Duncan and Paul Dallas running for mayor, the first thing that I think of is the destabilization of Renaissance 2010. The, the uprooting of entire neighborhoods, cultural norms being disrupted, and what that has contributed to. I also think about the overuse of punishment and our narrative about crime. We have individuals out here doing very bad things that aren't scared of punishment because we've overused punishment. They don't think that it matters, especially when you have an entire generation incarcerated. So we have to think broadly about public safety and what does public safety mean? We also have to think specifically about how we secure our city and deal effectively with these spikes of violence. What we are experiencing is a lack of strategy, a lack of collaboration, a lack of leadership. The Obama administration, their Justice Department sent a full complement of that have yet to even be implemented. You, you have a police superintendent who the rank and file are not in alignment with. A leader is only as good as the people who are willing to follow. A leader is only as good as their ability to communicate, engage, and instill trust and integrity. And we don't have any of that at the superintendent level of the police department, and certainly not at the mayoral level. The enrollment declines that CPS has faced over the last decade can be tied to a lot of factors and the solutions aren't available at the flip of a switch. But are you concerned that the destabilization caused by these disruptions in the stoppages that you have had and the uncertainty that parents feel will cause an even greater exodus. And what are your ideas to stop it? Do you have any? So Fran, I, I want to disrupt the assumption that you put forth here. One of the things as a black mother in Chicago that I've been pretty offended by is that our school district is 90% black and brown. 
And the availability of parent voice has been centered around the needs of our white parents. And what that has done is marginalized the discussion in ways that hasn't helped us come to solutions that will work in the vast majority of our school communities. So that's one. So I want to speak to it from this point of view. I, I experience white parents being very clear and declarative about what they need in their school communities and working very hard to get that. I've also experienced that from black parents as well. What I hadn't experienced is our mayor treating both sets of parents in a similar manner. I haven't experienced her privileging our Latinx parents in that same way. So one, I think parents have to be heard. Two, when we talk about destabilization, we have to also talk about this revolving door of CEOs. When I first started at the union, I think Terry Mazzani was the CEO. You got Forrest Claypool, you got Barbara Burr Bennett, you had Janice Jackson, you have Pedro right now the guy before Pedro, whose name is escaping me, Jean-Claude Brazard. So how do you have stability when you have a cast of characters at the very top? Number well, two- Well, you've got Pedro Martinez, who has a five-year contract, insisted on it. Is he up to the task? How's he doing? I think back to my point, Fran, is, is that it's not just about the CEO, it's also about mayoral control. And it's also about the overuse of closures and turnarounds by the school district, which Arnie and Paul can talk to you very well about. Those destabilize, those actions destabilize entire school communities and neighborhoods. And so when you talk about stability, from whose perspective are we speaking about? That is the question that I think we have to drill down on because COVID is a disruption for every institution and every person in our world right now. That is something that we don't have control over in this city, the state, or this country. And it keeps showing us that. So that's one thing, right? The second thing I think we should talk about is how do we um, reimagine the Chicago public schools? And some of this is simple, Fran. Some of this is very simple. If we remember what school felt like to us as young people, how do we then think about making a stable, enjoyable environment. We had action by high school students last Friday, and they are very clear in wanting agency and wanting support and wanting resources in their school communities. We don't have to ask the questions because they've already given us the answer. We just have to allow them to be a part of the implementation of it. One thing that I would say is that I would like to see our collective bargaining practice move away from the CTU and uh, the mayor into a space where parents, students, other unions, other stakeholders are participating. They do it in Maryland with some success. And I think that we should try that. That's one thing. I think another thing that we have to invest in is fine arts. Our children, listen to this. We are in a city that produced Shaka Khan and Earth, Wind and & Fire, and, and we don't have a band or an orchestra program embedded in every elementary school. That seems like a missed opportunity to me. Drama, 
theater. We are the second city when it comes to theater. And we don't have that embedded in our school communities, all of them. And then sports. We have two baseball teams, basketball, football. And we don't have well-funded feeder programs in the elementary school to the high school. Simple things we can get, but we got to get them. And we have to have leadership to get them right. Okay, Stacey Davis-Gates, thanks so much for joining us. We will watch with interest what happens with City Hall and the CTU and what the union does politically and otherwise. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you all next week.